Hello and welcome. It's Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast. Coming up, comedian and art lover Jenny Eclair chats to us about hosting brand new show, Drawers Off. We find out all about the return of Grayson Perry's art club for series two. Rupert Everett tells us what to expect in his upcoming appearance and Piers Morgan's life stories. And the lovely Sandy Toxvig takes us on some extraordinary escapes in her new show. But first, here's Maria. Uh, how are you, my dear? I'm very well, thank you, Graeme. Doesn't it lift the spirits when the sun is shining? Sorry if it's not shining where you are. <laughs> not you, but other people. Yeah, I know. I know. You don't care how I feel. But, but you're very... No, you've already said that it's lovely and you've got a great view. And... I know, but, but I could have been lying. I could have been just making... I could have been just cheering, cheering the nation or trying to make people jealous. No, it is actually... It's lovely. I mean, I feel like Alan Sugar it, looking out at this view. It's just... It's lovely. Uh, what's it Why like? do you feel like Alan Sugar? I don't understand. The Apprentice. You know, all those aerial shots where he flies over the Thames and he goes... Doom, oh, doom, doom. have you flown in this morning? <laughs> yes, I have. I have. Uh, the weather was so lovely. I just thought, let's take the chopper for a go. Uh, you know, just... Uh, yeah. Weather conditions. Gorgeous. I've heard you say that before. <laughs> Um, now, my dear, uh, have you, yes. people people actually bothered to text in. I can't imagine yeah. actually sitting down and making my fingers work. But, I, you know, I'm just talking, so I will. Have you been in the sea this morning, Maria? <laughs> yes, you would never think of asking me anything about my life. <laughs> yes, Graham, I have, because the, the inclement weather has ceased. Oh, and yes, the good. sea now is a mill pond of calm. Plus the added bonus, obviously, of the big yellow orb and a blue sky. It is perishingly cold, I have to say. But then when you come out, it's lovely and warm because of the, the great, great yellow orb. So I've been in twice and I hope to go in later. Wow. Some of the girls, I didn't do this because it's stupid, um, did a sunrise swim. So they went in at half past six or something in the morning, whenever sunrise is, and um, wanted to be in as the sun appeared over the horizon like some sort of strange, weird hippies. Oh, just and get rid of those in. friends. They sound really annoying. <laughs> yeah, and they got into the sea, which is so, you know, breathtakingly cold, and the sun didn't come up, and the sun didn't come up, <laughs> and, then, and they just thought, we're too cold. They went, oh, the sky's quite pink. That will do. Let's get out. <laughs> yeah, let's call that sunrise. Let's call it. It's yes, too... I feel like maybe uh, someone should have Googled that rather than just making a bit of a guess. It's probably about half yeah. six, isn't it? Yeah. Stupid hippies. Uh, did, <laughs> did, you, did you hit the hula hoop afterwards? Yes, I've done a bit of a hula hooping with a weighted hula hoop. Do you, I mean, little... Are you making that up or do you really do that? Yeah, because you're so cold when you get out. You either have to run around a bit. It's the sort of extremities, Graham. And so the hula hoop is good. It kind of, you know, takes your mind off it. And also it's, you know, I don't know, keeps people away. <laughs> Two metres Oh, that's away. true, yes. A really big hula hoop. That's good. Because I must say, this, this weather is lovely. But already, when I was coming into work today, there were quite a lot of people at oot and boot, which does make yes. you a little bit nervous. Well, oh. it does. And you can't blame people. Oh, no, absolutely. No, I don't blame anybody. But, but uh, you know, yeah. keep, carry on keeping your distance. It's really quite busy down on the seafront. Um, I'm here to tell you, though, Graham, do not do this thing, what I did, which is have a few glasses of wine. Um, and then think, oh, I might put some fake tan on as the sun's out, <laughs> which is what I did last night in sort of, you know, lamplight, all of these things, wrong, oh. wrong, wrong, cross, 
cross, cross. And so, did morning, you think it would be funny to write rude words in fake tan on yourself? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just that you know, after a few glasses of wine, and when you can't really see because it's not daylight, you don't know where your slip slop slapping it. And um, well, I can see this morning, obviously, exactly where I've got oh. a lot of lovely stripes, Graham. That's all I'm about to say. What, like, kind of fingery? <laughs> Oh, like like someone trying to escape from you. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. It's like somebody's been reaching for me, you know, when you crowd surf. Like the sex scene in Titanic with the hands just scraping down the condensation window. (laughs) And, Graham, I've had an e-bike fail this week. You know, I have a little e-bike, which I'm still uncertain about, doubly so now, because I thought, oh, uh, what I'll do today is I'll go up the longest, hardest, highest, stupidest hill in the whole of the land and see how well my e-bike does. Well, now, they did tell me, keep it charged, yada, yada. You know, I don't do that, obviously, and I never look at the little battery thing that's on the front. So, of course, I got up. I was, you know, mincing up on number three, thinking, oh, this is adorable. And suddenly, I am driving a Sherman tank. Oh. (laughs) It was so heavy and so unexpected that I actually started to slip back down the hill. No, because so, that's the thing. Um, when the battery goes, you're th- oh. you're not. You, then it's the heaviest bike in the world. Oh, I cannot tell you. I was fuming. I was absolutely fuming. <laughs> fuming because it, someone hadn't charged this bike. Someone, yeah. Someone who owns this bike has not charged it. This is outrageous. Why aren't my staff on top of this? <laughs> uh, it's ridiculous. So instead of carrying on like a trooper, I abandoned the hill. Did you just throw the bike in the? Did you just throw the bike away? Yeah. Stupid yeah, bike. I threw, it, I threw it in the hedge. I'll get another one, Graham. No, I yeah, I'm yeah. still, I'm still laughing at Samantha Bumford. <laughs> Sorry, I know I shouldn't. Oh, did you cry at Harry uh, at um, Grayson Perry's art show yesterday when Harry Hill was talking about tree hugging? Oh, you think, oh yeah, he's going to do some comedy yeah. about tree hugging, and then he put. He was, you know, finding the right tree in the forest, lots of nice comedy, and then he put a picture of his mum on a tree, and then he hugged it. With such intensity that, you know, the solar plexus where all the feelings that you don't really want to come out, come out. And I just, I found it so impossibly moving because we've all been denied that tiny thing so long. You know, it was, it was, I mean, that, that show, there's something about Grayson Perry. I don't know what it is. I think because he's not trying to be a TV presenter, he's not trying to be anything. He's very kind of on filtered and direct and it just it becomes very emotional very fast it does all the you know lots of the people that he spoke to had stories and it was about family last night obviously yeah very oh the woman who did the picture um, of her dad and and he's going to put the picture in the exhibition and oh yes lovely very very why am i watching this why aren't i watching coronation street instead (laughs) that would be much more much more amusing i loved your show last night your televisual show graham why thank you very much maria the reviews have flooded in from hastings yes and it's a hit, a palpable hit. Who is the man um, who I don't know who lives in Kentish Town? Oh, Kingsley Benadir. Uh, how have I not come across him before? Uh, well, because he was here, he had a, a, a recurring role in Vera. I don't, I don't know, you don't watch Vera. He was, I think, the coroner, the pathologist, or something like that. And uh, and then, in that weird way, and I asked him last night, but he, he, you never get a, a straight answer to this: is how do you go humble. from just being? How do you go from being a, like just a jobbing actor in Britain to being in movies? And that's what he's done. So he played Barack Obama in the Comey rule um, 
uh, for what was that HBO or something like that and now he's in One Night in Miami playing Malcolm X and Which Regina King directed very very good have you seen that yet yeah no I mean it's it's I mean it's a play it is a, it's a filmed play it, and yeah. they don't really perfect for lockdown no it, perfect and they don't really tr- I mean they, they open it up a little bit at the beginning and the end but most of the the film is the four men in in the room in in the hotel room in, in Miami but it is it's fascinating it's, and in fairness Regina 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 Fong uh, not Regina Fong. She was an old drag queen. Regina King. <laughs> That's terrible. I'm glad Going I did that. I'm glad I did it on the radio, not when I was interviewing her. And next up, Regina Fong. <laughs> That's very funny. Oh, I love Regina Fong. Hey, have you found a letter under the sofa on Truth by Do Dolly? You know, I have, and I'm going to read it to you right now. Excellent. Dear Graham and Maria. I am 27 and have been with my partner of the same age for three years. We have known each other since university and our relationship is only going growing stronger. We are hard-working professionals, meaning we sometimes go two or three weeks before seeing each other. Both of us would love to move in together and feel that this is a natural progression of our relationship. The trouble is, her parents come from a very conservative family and will, inverted commas, disown her if we live together before we're at least engaged or preferably married. Whilst I do intend to marry her, neither of us are ready and feel uncomfortable being forced to wed. I feel deep down that it's my partner who is ultimately responsible for confronting her parents and going against their wishes. Hmm. So far, she's raised this with them and has tried to explain her feelings, but remains reluctant to push it given the perceived risk of losing them. I'm finding it increasingly hard to cope without her more regularly in my life. Hmm. What do I do? That is from Henry in Colchester. Well, Henry in Colchester, first thing I'm going to say to you, but I think it may be too late, is don't make this a thing between you and your partner. The second thing I want to say is you've been together since university and then three years and now you want to get married. I'm wondering how much of the world and other people you have experienced, if you know what I mean, and whether in some way this is in the back of your mind, but that's me reading between the lines. I would just say to you, I don't think you should make it a thing with your partner and about her parents. You know, they are allowed to have their view, but ultimately this is your life. And I think a way of assuaging them and kind of mollifying is to, um, you know, people will uh, disagree with this, but is to maybe say we're getting engaged. If that is sufficient for them of a commitment for them to accept that you will move in together and also an engagement, you know, nobody can party at the moment. Do it quietly and subtly, just, you know, a ring. It doesn't cost as much to get out of an engagement as it does to get out of a wedding and the marriage and so on. And it's not as big a deal. Of course it is because, you know, it shows your commitment to somebody and in the future you will. But people have long engagements and you can say you're saving up for your wedding. It doesn't. I just think on two levels, I wonder if this is right for both of you. Mm -hmm. And I also think don't bring the parents into it. But if you want to... um, alleviate this pressure then maybe just go for a a sort of white lie of engagement but you intend to get married everybody who gets engaged intends to get married but they don't always come off but they're easier much much easier to break graham
Oh, I just think that would be so... How unromantic would that be? Kind of, you, oh, know, well, you know, do you want to share a bathroom and, oh, here's a ring so we can do that? It's just that's something, I don't know. It just seems so... Yeah, like, I, I just think if you, if you get engaged, if you get engaged, you want the excitement of that this is real. This is going... We're going to get married. And, I mean, that kind of, we intend to. I mean... <laughs> I mean, it just seems, I don't know, it just seems to um, just suck all the joy out of it. I, Henry, I would say, look, here's the thing. You have to make your peace with, you have to find some way forward to this because you are not, as you've now discovered, you are not just dating uh, this woman. You are involved in her family. And that's the thing. When you meet someone, you don't just meet them. If if the relationship goes on and develops and becomes a... The, fa- the family's become part of it. And you will have to go to family events and all of those sorts of things. And if you don't get on with this family at all, and it, then this problem is just going to get worse. But he and- hasn't said that. It's just that there's rather conservative way of don't live together before there's some commitment. That's all. Okay. I just, I, and also the, I'm kind of with you, um, Maria, that thing about I'm finding increasingly hard to cope without her more regularly in my life. I mean, there's almost a bit of an ultimatum, isn't there? There's kind of like a... I'm- well, also, it's a bit one-sided, Graham, I find that. I mean, I want to know what his partner feels. You know, look, you've been coping with, you're both busy, you've got lives and so on. And it keeps everything alive if you don't see each other all that much. When you move in together, this is why I'm thinking an engagement rather than a marriage, because, you know, if you haven't ever lived with someone before, it's quite an eye-opener to then live with them. And things can change when you're quite young and you've been with someone for a long time and then you see them in, you know, the 24-7 version of them. I, I don't want to rain on his parade, yeah. Henry and Colchester, but I find I am doing. <laughs> but the family, the family, I mean, the family also annoy me because, you know, they, this, these people are 27. And I think we can say this word on this radio station. Do they think she's a virgin? Um, presumably, presumably they know she's not. So, uh, you know. No, what, but we have to respect people's cultures and sometimes. No, no, what I mean uh, is, yes, you've got to respect people's cultures, but but she's already not respected their culture. Uh, if that if that's what it is, if it's a religious thing, then she's already kind of broken all the big rules. So really, sharing a front door is you know the, yeah. No, <laughs> I agree with you. Doors, I'm not saying every it other door has been uh, <laughs> just wide open. Uh, so, I agree with you. I'm not saying it isn't nutty to say you know you have to have some sort of commitment. But this is very much about how other people view this situation, and so. Yeah. She doesn't want to make a big deal with her parents. She doesn't want them to disown her, which is what he's but kind of... Henry I mean, also, I think you need to find out, will they really disown you? Or is this them trying... Is this the, their last grasp effort to kind of control their daughter? Because actually, she's 27. You just go, you know what? I'm, I'm moving in. I know it's not what you want. We are planning to get married down the road. So wind your neck in. Da, 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 da. Um, uh, but if they don't have that relationship, then I think Henry really is uh, opening a can of worms because this will never go away. This will never really get better. I mean, really he obviously knows the family and they like him and know him, but they're just pushing him a little bit. You know, he's been with her since university and then three years since. Um, so he's familiar with the family and... I think you do have to respect their wishes, but if there's a way of doing that without 
upsetting yours. And that's why I suggest people are going to come down on me like a ton of hot bricks. Uh, that's why I suggest an engagement. Uh, Christine in Newmarket says, I think you just say you're engaged and have a token ring on the understanding that you can move in and tell the parents you will get married eventually. Are these parents going to be happy with the word eventually? I think they'll want dates. They'll want lists. They'll be inviting relatives. These are not people to be palmed off, I would say. Uh, Leslie in Edinburgh. Ooh, Leslie thought of something we didn't. Sounds like she's using the parents as an excuse. Jess in London. I think you do have to live with each other before making a lifelong contractual agreement. Approach the family together. It's not just up to your partner if you want to be part of the family. Uh... Yes, I mean, I'm with. I'm, I do think if you're gonna, if you are serious about this relationship, wanted to go forward, Henry, you do need to find some way of being able to deal with this family. I mean, they don't sound easy. Uh, so good luck to you. Don't get engaged just to placate the parents. That's madness. You're clearly not ready, and there's nothing more depressing than a long engagement. Greg in London. There's nothing more depressing than a long engagement. How many people are have been in engagements slightly longer than they intended? Over the last year, hundreds of them. I mean, wedding venues will be stacking weddings like planes at Heathrow when they finally reopen. When they, okay, thank you very much. If you could hurry out now. Thank you. Thank you. No rice. No rice. No confetti. No. Come on. Next, people. Uh, move in together and live your life as you choose. Use the act of moving in as the sign of commitment to appease the parents. More responsible than engagement or marriage for the sake of parents. Jay in Croydon. And also, this is what the parents like. This is what they'd like to happen. They can't make you do that. I mean, uh, maybe they can. I don't know. Uh, Maria in Cheltenham. Uh, could it be that Henry's girlfriend may be using her parents as an excuse that isn't sure about moving in with him without a ring on her finger? I Isn't it interesting? That's two women who kind of figured out that this doesn't... <laughs> there's, there's something about this that doesn't quite ring true. Uh, definitely shouldn't get engaged. A, lack of romance. I'm with you there, Kate. Uh, B, parents-in-law will start organising the wedding or nagging. You're so right. Lucy Goldston, do not suggest anyone gets engaged for the sake of it. Henry's partner will be devastated. Engagement should be the most exciting time of your life. I'm with you, Lucy. Maria was doing it from a practical point of view, almost like getting a green card or something, you know, uh, an engagement of convenience. But because they are a real couple, it kind of, I don't exist. Uh, I got married at 27 because my mother couldn't cope with us living together. It lasted three years. Tell them, big block capitals, not to do it. I didn't meet Mr. Wright until I was in my 40s. I'm now in my 70s and very, very happy. Well, should we? Uh, th that's the only advice we need there. Yeah, le I mean, Leslie's lived it. She's lived it. Virgin Radio. Uh, OK, let's have another letter, please. OK, here we are. Dear Graham and Maria, I have lived in a block of flats for a few years now. As the majority of residents are fairly young and working, I've always said how lovely and quiet the building is. I work chiefly online, so I'm at home a lot. Since lockdown, however, my neighbours have been generating a lot of noise of the intimate variety. Sometimes I wonder if they're making adult videos in there. <laughs> I'm sick of having to wear headphones sometimes three to four times a day. What can I do or say as I barely know them? And that's from Helen in Warwick. Well, Helen, you know quite a lot about them, I would imagine, from your three to four times a day. Mm. But those are the sort of things you don't really want to know, especially when you're working online at home alone. Um, 
I would say, look, you've been very lucky and you've got a lovely quiet building and you could have, you know, your upstairs neighbours or your next door neighbours or whatever, you know, playing house music 24-7. So you've got three to four times a day of probably three or four times a minute. So I would say go out for those times. If you hear this beginning, go out, do your you know daily exercise and or do your shop or something so that you don't have to endure it or wear your headphones. I don't think you can do or say anything really. You certainly can't write a letter because that is very inflammatory and they'll be embarrassed and you'll be embarrassed and it'll all go horribly wrong and then you'll not speak and you know then you'll be writing to us again. Mm. So um, three to four times a day, I'm thinking they must be either very young or um, a very new relationship. So things will drop off, shall I say, um, as the time goes on. And also shortly, fingers crossed, every, you know, praise to all the gods, we'll be back at work and they'll be back at work soon. So I think this is a temporary problem, however you look at it. I'm not negating how annoying and irritating and whatever it is, but I don't think it's going to go on forever and it's not worth making a big scene about it. Try and try and laugh about it. I mean, I know we do sniggering sort of carry on jokes yes. about this, but it is quite annoying. But it, it, it will pass, I think. The, 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 you know, the shine will go off the relationship or they'll split up or they'll go back to work. So there's a there's an end in sight, Helen in Warwick. What do you think, Graham? Well, certainly I don't think, don't do the anonymous note or anything. Because I've noticed people no. now wear that as a badge of pride. People like posting. Oh, look, oh, we got this note. We're so embarrassed. It's like, no, you're not. You're thrilled with yourselves uh, that you're your neighbours can hear everything you do. I wonder, well, two things. Uh, is there someone on the other side of this flat? You know, because if they are also disturbed by it, then that's, you know, at least at least you can have a wry smile with someone in the lift. Um, also, whatever wall they are through, I would move your working space somewhere else in your flat, as far Very away from idea, that thing as you can. And also, I wonder if it, if actually you wonder if they're making adult videos. I wonder if they're just watching adult videos uh, with, you know, the, the speakers on. Maybe that's what they're doing. Because, you know, who knows? Well, a so, bit of both, perhaps. A bit of both. A bit of Helen, both. you could always ask to join in and make a little bit of extra cash. No, I didn't say that. No, I don't mean These, that. <laughs> Lockdown, it's been very difficult for everyone. <laughs> yes, I'm working I've from home. i a little sideline with my neighbours. Yes, yes, I'm working from my neighbour's home. Uh, uh, yes, Helen, I, I think Maria's right. Look, you just have to, you have to put headphones on a few times a day. At least it's not keeping you awake. At least, you know, it, this isn't, they're not doing it at two in the morning. So it's a nice, you know, at least it's daytime activity. So turn your telly on or you play your music a bit louder. Just what, there must be a way around this. I think you've had a very nice time and you have neighbours and you will hear your neighbours. It's, if they were doing something, if they were just, if they were banging pots and pans or something, while they're, if they were cooking noisily, you probably wouldn't have written to us. But somehow, because of the intimate nature of the sounds, it feels like, oh, I shouldn't be listening to this. This is, more, this is ruder of them. And it's not. They're just living, and uh, maybe living in a slightly annoying, loud way, but they're just living. And you're all in this building. You all pays your money. And sometimes you will hear stuff.
So you could always pretend Helen in Warwick to do your own <laughs> single, um, but you know, pretend and do both both sounds um, of of uh, both sexes. Uh, so oh yeah, Meg Ryan, go just, full Meg Ryan by their door. Just, yes, <laughs> just so they know how thin the walls are, <laughs> and that you're having quite a nice time too. It's not just them enjoying themselves, but that obviously is the way of madness. But yeah, um, and then they'll put a note under your door. <laughs> Yeah, and you'll have to say, I live alone. I haven't seen anyone for months. I don't know what you mean. What do you mean? I'm so embarrassed. Uh, Oh, Helen and Warwick. Uh, Yes, I just think this is... It's as simple as living with other people. It will pass as well, won't it, Graham? We'll go back to work. They'll go back to work. They'll fall out. They'll get bored with what they do. Uh, you know, those things never last. What's the yeah. What's the finite period for a new relationship? Well, certainly, so, we'll know. get we'll get soon. Helen will be writing this thing. Oh, the couple next door keep having very loud rows. And I, <laughs> I, I can't hear myself think with all the rowing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is worse? Which Let's find out. out. Uh, eight seven triple two. Eight seven triple two is the text number for listeners. Eight seven triple two. Uh, start your text with the word virgin. If you've got any advice for uh, Helen in Warwick, because you know, as you say, in lockdown, probably more people are experiencing this, and at least, at least they're not, you know. At, at, you know, at least they're not drinking or out in their balcony smoking all day. You know, they found a nice, healthy, fun way to pass the time while they're in lockdown. So it's all it's all good. Then. You know, you should be pleased that they're not they're not doing something worse in that flat. So, do you think it's Henry in Colchester and his partner? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yes. So just write to the parents, Helen, and tell tell them where they are. And uh, yeah, and they're not even engaged. <laughs> yeah. Listen to them. Cat uh, in Redbridge. This too shall pass. Maria's right. No point bothering them. Uh, live in York. Who's still going in lockdown? Give them a congratulations card. Jane Croydon says earbuds. I presume you mean like ear pods, not like cotton buds, unless you're trying to take the wax out of your ears so you can hear properly. So you can hear every, every little moan. I, I'm missing some of it. My, my ear wax. An anonymous person says, oh, use it as an excuse to treat yourself to some fancy headphones. You'll have so much fun figuring them out. You'll forget about the external noises. Well, Anon knows how to find the fun in life, doesn't he? Craig Craig in London. Uh, Just knock on the door every time it happens and run away. That actually, I mean, that is stupid, but quite funny. Uh, they'll get the message. Think Pavlov and his dogs. Vicky in Cornwall. We used to hear our neighbours being noisy too. We used to give them a round of applause at the end. It, it didn't stop, but we all laughed. Oh, they, oh, Vicky in Cornwall, they laughed. Uh, Karen in Somerset. Why headphones? Play your music very loud uh, every time it happens. They may register it and think twice, or at least Helen won't be able to hear them. Karen in Somerset. Nikki in Maidenhead. If you do confront them, be sure a downstairs neighbour complained to my flatmate about me doing this. We were both confused as I was very much alone. Turns out it was just me and my cross trainer. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Do check. Do check what's really going on in there. Uh, Helen, I'd use the opportunity to learn the drums or the violin or do some renovations to your house or maybe turn up the volume to play something like Ernie the Fastest Milkman or Morrissey. That's a good passion killer. Uh, Oh, that's Bunty and Cheadle. Uh, Rachel in East London, I had the same issue, solved it by downloading the Benny Hills Yakety Sax theme tune and playing it at full blast every time the flat walls are rocking. Bit of a mood killer, apparently. And uh, Mary and Barnett, Helen's neighbours have an indoor gym. She should go and ask if they're personal trainers and are they taking new numbers. 
That could work. That could work. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio. Is it too early for Bucks Fizz? I feel not. Pop those corks. Calls for celebration. Jenny Eclaire is back on the television. And right now she's uh, on the radio. She's talking to me. Hi, Jenny. Hi, Graham. How are you? Well, I'm all right, but it's about time I got my own telly show. I'm 60. I had to wait until I was 60 in a pandemic. <laughs> it's ridiculous. You got there in the end, slow oh, and steady. I've, I've sort of battled them down. They're battle-weary, all the telly execs. That I've shoved up into corners at parties. But also, you're not just back on the telly. You're on it every day now. <laughs> every day for a month, yeah. Even I'm going to be sick of me. <laughs> so the show is what, tell me this, did you come up with the title, Drawers no, Off? No, I did I didn't. I didn't. I mean, I really did. I got a bit peculiar about it. I thought, oh, I don't want them to sort of, you know, not take art seriously. And it's a funny one because it's so, it's such good fun. I mean, genuinely, it's called Draws Off. Yes. Okay. Yeah, tell it, I've, I've, I've only seen uh, one episode, but I, I understand the idea. So but explain to the listeners. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> well, it's very simple. The week starts on a Monday, as it always does, with five <laughs> contestants, five amateur artists. They come to the studio and one of them disrobes and the other four paint or draw him or her. And then after the hour painting session, the life model chooses which one of the four she, he likes the best. That goes into the winner's gallery, Graham. They're on their way to winning £1,000 at the end of the week. And it goes like that every day. There's a new life model out of the five artists taking their turn to uh, pose on the podium. And then at the end, there are five uh, paintings who are all in the winner's gallery and all the artists get a secret vote. And the person who has painted the winner's winner gets a thousand pounds. It's dead simple. Even I got it. And, and be- I can't do Skype. So. <laughs> and because because they're taking their clothes off, you know, you might think, oh, it's a little bit salacious. And everything. But it's not. It's so sweet. It's got a lovely heart. It's, well, that was, the main, that was the only thing that bothered me about it before I, I said yes, because I just thought, is this going to be just a sort of calling card for the dirty old man brigade? Is this just going to be some peculiar middle-aged men pulling their chairs very close to the television <laughs> and wearing Macs? And that thought really sort of appalled me, and I, I had a couple of nightmares over it, as you can imagine. Yes. And, uh, but then we had a lot of talks about it, and I, there's a fantastic art guru on the programme called Diana Alley, who's properly trained and she knows everything about life modelling. And we were very um, sensitive to the artist come models about lighting and draping. I mean, it's daytime telly. You're not allowed to see bum. You're not allowed to... I can't say the other words for body parts because I've already been warned. I'm apparently a high-risk guest when it comes to bad language. Yeah, absolutely. There's a firewall. (laughs) (laughs) You're, you're doing you're doing delay. you're doing this at quarter past 11 really it's going out at half 11 we're not <laughs> this isn't live yeah <laughs> so that's the that's the thing the last thing i wanted was anybody being dragged to the life modeling podium sort of weeping and sort of <laughs> protesting and saying don't make me do it but also it makes i think what's nice about it is that because they're going to be judging it everyone's kinder to each other in a way because they're all going to go through it. Yeah, they're all going to go through it. And also there's no judges, there's no professional judges looking down their noses. Um, They are all amateur artists and they're all going through the same process. I mean, if I was doing it, I'd just be really flattering. If I was one of the artists 
painting you know, <laughs> one of my fellow competitors. You know, if I wanted to get into the winner's gallery, I'd just take a couple of double chins off them and narrow down the ankle. <laughs> and that way, that way, you know, you probably, you, you stand a very good chance. Yeah, give, you, give somebody a waist. <laughs> Can you imagine having a waist? <laughs> I don't genuinely for a second. I didn't know what you were talking about. <laughs> yeah. the, Waste. Oh yes, the uh, words didn't compute. <laughs> because I think people don't uh, immediately associate you with art, but you are very uh, arty. You are a very creative person, aren't you? Yeah, I'm hideously creative. <laughs> Listen, we know that the world divides into children who can catch a ball and children who would rather sit indoors colouring in. And I know which camp I, be- I belong to. I'm a, a, a sitting indoors colouring in. I always have been. You know, I have to force myself out for a walk every day. I'm looking at the weather now. I've got no excuse. It's a beautiful day. I have to get out there. I can't think of anything worse, but you have to. Um, and I have done a lot of art in lockdown. I do. I attend online lessons and I go, you know, the old man is an art dealer now. <laughs> That's his job. So, you know, I've always been very entrenched in art. He's, he was a sculptor originally, then he's sort of gone through lots of different careers. And we've always been, I mean, out of lockdown, we're at least an art gallery a week. I mean, I live in the middle of London and that's my thing. Yeah. I'd rather do 10,000 steps uh, around one of the Tates than 10,000 steps around the same park because I mean God love the parks and thank you London for having these brilliant green spaces but because we're only meant to go to the same ones I'm a tiny bit bored <laughs> and tell me when you do you know when you're sitting in the house thinking oh, we're not going I'm going to be creative are you a are you a collage gal gouache well, <laughs> watercolour I do like to experiment Graham yes <laughs> I, I, my medium my preferred medium is acrylic because it's uh, cheaper and quicker to dry than oil. Watercolour is the hardest. I think a lot of people start with watercolour thinking that that's for the nursery slopes. It's actually, for me, the most technically difficult. So if I was to encourage anybody, if they were starting out, I'd say, you know, just head for the acrylics. They're very forgiving. You can go over your own lines, which you can't with watercolour. And if you haven't got much money, I use a lot of packaging. You know the packaging that comes in the house from the company we don't mention. Oh, yes. Uh, but that one, you know you get those boxes. Uh, I rip those up and I paint on those. So, you, you know, it's great if you can afford the best materials. It really is because it does make a difference. But if you can't, then use anything. Use your fists, use your hands, use your potatoes. I do iPad art as well, which is very good for people who haven't got much space. I mean, I don't have a studio. I mean, I'd love to be one of those people that just said, I'm just going to my studio. (laughs) Um, I don't have that. I have the kitchen table like most people. And half my kitchen table is, Graham, I'm going to admit this live on air. It's slightly worse than being an alcoholic. Half my kitchen table is covered by a jigsaw. Oh, we, yes. just, we just had someone uh, texting in. I know, in. I was listening in. And I was thinking, oh, it would be so lovely to just give up, just I sweep it into a one. bin. Um, it was a peculiar shaped one, I couldn't do it, and it was making me and Jeff really miserable. Because <laughs> every time we faced it, we faced failure. It was one of those terrible things. It was like going to do a really bad maths test every day. <laughs> so uh, we've got a lovely one at the moment, and it's botanical uh, leaves, and it's so beautiful. I don't mind that being slow with that one, because it's so lovely. Lovely. But, yeah, I always have a bit of the kitchen table. And uh, Sunday afternoon is often my day. 
Nice. Painting. Nice. You're a little a window into Jenny and Claire's calm, calm home life. Uh, so, Jenny, uh, I wanted to. Is your house like a retrospective of Jenny and Claire? Is it sort of. Is it... No, no, is it my own gallery? Have I turned my <laughs> yes. home into a lockdown ah, gallery? You, you really like J. Eclair. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I did decoupage my boiler door because it was featuring in a lot of Zoom meetings. Oh, OK. And I thought, oh, that looks a bit boring. So I did a, a sort of floral thing on that, uh, which, you know, I live in a very modernist house because uh, my partner is, is that type. So and we built our own house and it's not that old. So I've only got one room where I'm allowed to sort of have quite sort of things that don't really fit oh. at my study. But um, no, I give things away much to the absolute despair of my family. So when they get a birthday or Christmas, they sort of cringe. They kind of close their eyes when I hand over the gift as if to say, oh God, what's she going to give me now? Yeah. Is it? Oh, it is. It is. It's another one. It's another painting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, now, you mentioned before you did stand-up, stand-up, Jenny Eclair, because uh, you are, I mean, uh, yeah, you're one of my favourite stand-ups and you're one of those, you're proper stand-up. You don't fill 20 minutes with a mildly amusing anecdote. You're boom, 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 joke, joke, jokes. So, uh, now that, the, you know, that we, we feel like things are starting to open up, are you like a coiled spring? Are you the greyhound in the slips? Are you ready to just burst out with a Am full pandemic bolt? set? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to smash my way out of the stable door and sort of go cantering into a brick wall. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, I've got a tour lined up for the autumn, for September. So, uh, you know, everybody, fortunately, you know what? We're, I mean, we're quite old, Graham, so yes. most of our demographic will be double jabbed by September. Have you had your jab? I got through that. There's an NHS website that's doing the rounds, and it, it starts by saying if you're over 64, but actually you can, you're allowed to go through it and if they as long as you've got your nhs number you don't lie about anything if they've got spares in your neighborhood they will let you through Ooh. that's my handy hint for so i'm in southeast london and i've got a jab appointment uh by being completely honest i haven't lied about anything and lots of people i know in the neighborhood have done exactly the same and i've got mine on tuesday well, I and I didn't tick any box that I wasn't meant to tick. You know, no, no yeah, yeah. eligibility. No, I talked to someone yesterday, and uh, they've been offered a second jab if they take part in a in a film to encourage people to, <laughs> to have the jab. I was like, I'll do that. Yeah, of course. I mean, I've had my sleeve rolled up since Christmas. Of course, the old man was done in January. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, he has, I feel like he can go to the shops now. Anyway, so you're fully jabbed. You're full, no, well, you, I'm not. Well, you will be. You will Tuesday. be by, by September. Yeah. And then you are on the road. I'm on the road for a long time. I don't, I don't look at the tour dates. I mean, that's going to be a bit of a shock after this sort of mega lockdown. I mean, I know you've worked throughout and I've done bits and bobs of work, but I haven't had to work flat out. Uh, you know, there's a bit of me that can't wait. And then a bit of me that goes, well, yeah, I'm very used to, I'm kind of welded to the sofa these days. Yeah. Well, I, I think the odd thing about working throughout, and you've done bits, is because it's not like work, because there's nothing else to do, you're not trying to juggle work and the rest of your life. No. It's just, I have one thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's this. And yeah. I'm very grateful to have one thing to do, but uh, but it's not the same as working in no, the normal world. No, and draws off. I mean, we did it in Manchester in November, and um, I was staying in a hotel, you know, quite a posh hotel, Graham. Uh, but it was there was no no facilities. You know the pool wasn't open. It was just this high rise 
kind of luxury prison, really. I mean, there was no restaurant open. You had to get takeaways every night. And I was just busy. I was there on the 17th floor looking out the window at this completely deserted Manchester. And I think that sort of living in the inner city when, during lockdown is much more of a sort of... Uh, it's much weirder. Sorry, I was, I'm searching for words where I can't swear. <laughs> <laughs> it's much weirder than um, living in our sort of London villages where life still seems to go on a little bit. Yes, I agree with you. When you go into the centre of London, it's just, ooh, it's like a, it's some weird kind of horror film or something. It really yeah. is, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas, yeah, I, where I am, it, it's busier than ever, I'd say. <laughs> well, we're all, we're all sort of regressing back to village life a little bit. And I do worry for London so much because I love it so dearly. And I just hope that it really does bounce right back. I think it, I mean, it's bound to, because people, I do feel like, like you, you know, wanting to get back on the, the stand-up thing. I, people want to go see you, people want, you know, people want to get out there. If people do want to go see Jenny Eclair live, you can find tickets and information at JennyEclair.com. Uh, Jenny's new show, Drawers Off, is on every weeknight <laughs> at 5.30. It's called Drawers Off. <laughs> yeah, it's only a month, though. It's not like forever. <laughs> There'll it be would more. be great I, if it was forever. No, no, I think there will be more because it is a, it's a very, it's a really good format. Jenny Eclair, uh, go make a collage. Enjoy the rest <laughs> of your day. I will do. You take care, my gorgeous, and get jabbed soon. I'll go, hopefully, hopefully. Because good luck on Tuesday. Bye. Yeah, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio. And on the line now is Grayson Perry. Hi, Grayson. Hello. Hello. Hello, uh, Lovely to talk to you. Um, on behalf of the nation, I mean, just thank you so much for this art club. We didn't know we wanted. We didn't know we needed it. <laughs> but we love it. Good. Yeah, no, it's, it seems to be weirdly popular. I'm, I'm on television at eight o'clock, which is kind of weird for me. <laughs> family family favourite, Grayson Perry. <laughs> and so tell me, because I think Channel 4, in that first lockdown, Channel 4 seemed like they were incredibly nimble and really turned on a dime. So how did the first art club happen? How quickly did it get from an idea to the screen? Oh, very quickly. I mean, uh, my sort of collaborator, director, Neil Crombie, he kind of uh, said, you know, almost as lockdown was looming, he said, we need to do something to get people, you know, and, and, he, and he came up with the idea. And I think within a month we were on the air. <laughs> so it was like, it was very quick, very quick. And also, you know, kind of intrusive in a way, because it's in your house. I mean, it's your studio, but it's still kind of your space, your uh, world, your wife, <laughs> Philip, is yeah. there as well. So yeah. how, how how much time does it take? Or is it your whole time? You know, is it all the time? Or is it quite, are you quite strict about when cameras are there, when you're doing I mean, things? We have a very quick turnaround. I mean, we, we film it in three days the week before broadcast. So we've just finished uh, yesterday filming episode two. So it's very quick, but then I've been doing a lot of preparation with the art because you know art takes for ages to do. So I do I do some of the art it's sort of in advance to get it ready. And I know that like because Philippa is Philippa creative in that way normally, or has she <laughs> or has she become an artist as part of Art Club? No, when I w met Philippa uh, thirty odd years ago, uh, yeah, she was at art school, so she's always made stuff. 
Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, no, she's always made art, and you know she does it. You know, every so often, she, you know, her main job is as a writer nowadays. But uh, yeah, she she makes stuff. Oh no, because just when she was wandering into your studio asking to borrow brushes and things, I just thought, I wonder if this is annoying, Grayson. <laughs> I wonder if he's <laughs> <laughs> thinking, back off, get your own brushes. <laughs> no, it's quite. It's, it's weirdly unintrusive because we had these little robot cameras just dotted about the studio, and or you you don't forget that they're there. But occasionally, I'll look at one and I'll go, "Are you filming?" And the camera will nod. <laughs> oh, so where are they? Where are the people? Like the... they're outside in my yard in a little tent. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, filming everything rem- remotely. Wow. I mean that, and and I don't know. Maybe it's because of that. Because because it it is just you. But it, we were talking earlier about the show, um, and we were just saying how oddly emotional it is that you don't you know you think oh i'm going to look at some things it'll be interesting it'll be credit but it's it you it breaks your heart it, it really touches you yeah i mean it's about people really and you know all culture is about telling people's stories and so um that's what we try to bring out really and uh yeah it's it's about that experience of sharing it's not necessarily about how to paint a tree properly and like and when you ask people to make little films for you and things do you know what you're going to get i mean i think we were talking about the harry hill film which yeah. was absolutely heartbreaking um, yeah it was brilliant it was so good so do you is that just harry look you go do what you want harry or do you talk about it how does it work no he's a sort of friend of a show because he featured i think quite a lot in the yeah. first uh, series and um he, yeah, he, he makes his sculptures and he, he suggested it, I think. I think I think the producer's probably on to him saying, is there anything you'd like to do? And he said, yeah, I've got an idea. And so he literally just, you know, presented us with the, with the finished thing. Wow. And the and then the, the ordinary members of the public who uh, contribute art as well. I mean, there's such beautiful stories there because they've, they're, they're sharing more than their art, aren't they? As you say, it's about stories. Yeah. And, and, and I think that, I, you know, I've always been sort of a proselytizer for, you know, access to the arts. And so this is a golden opportunity to say, you know, you don't have to be Leonardo da Vinci. You know, I do things where I'm rubbish at it and I still enjoy them, you know. And I think that everybody can have a go and some people turn out to be amazingly good and they didn't realize it. And some people get a lot out of it. You know, it's not just about being able to skill element of it. It's also about the emotional sort of commitment and... Uh, and how, what it does in your life, what it does for you. We've got an amazing story in the next episode that is absolutely astounding. Yeah, it's great. Oh, give us a hint. No. <laughs> oh. No, because there's an odd thing that was in there, Grayson, where, you know, you think, uh, you know, this is a visual medium, I just need to look at this and I'll get everything. But actually, hearing people talking about their work. I mean, even, you know, when I've heard you talk about, you know, your maps or what went into some of your pottery and things like that, it, it, it opens it up. It kind of, it, it makes you experience it in a different way. Yeah, you learn. I mean, you don't expect to go into a, into a sort of a classical music venue and understand it all straight away. And the same with art. You kind of, you know, you go into an art gallery that a lot of it is mystifying and you learn more. And then you, it enriches your experience of it. Any kind of cultural activity, the more you know about it almost and that you get obsessed about it, the more you enjoy it. And the exhibition you keep referring to yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the show, yes. um, you're thinking, well, this is quite a big exhibition. Uh, so is that a real thing? Is that really going to happen? Is oh, it going gosh, to go- yeah. I mean, I, the, the first series, we, you know, we had the same thing. And, 
Uh, it's all at this very moment, as we speak, at the Manchester Art Gallery, just waiting for lockdown to finish so that they can open. Because we, the show was fully installed from the last series. I'm not about, I think, the, just at the beginning of December, I think. And it was literally about to open, and then lockdown came crashing down again. Oh, wow. Tragically. So it's just there, and it's going to be open until the autumn. And then we're going to find another museum that wants to host the next exhibition, and hopefully by then it will just open uh, in, when when it's hung up. But yeah, there's literally an exhibition, like a Marie Celeste of an exhibition in Manchester Art Gallery waiting. Oh, there's cleaners poised and ready to go in and dust it. <laughs> <laughs> and then it'll be open. That's so, oh, that's, oh, how frustrating because well, presumably all the people were really excited as well because they, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. that's awful. Um, and... And I suppose, I suppose it might tour. Might it tour? Or is it going to be a book? Or are you are you thinking of other ways of people experiencing? It? Not oh, ever. There is a book already. You can buy it online, probably from Manchester Art Gallery. There is a uh, the catalogue. Catalog. Yeah. Oh, oh wow! It's all produced, yeah, and merchandise, everything. It's all out there. <laughs> You're on it, Grayson. On it. Well, it's my job. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you throw things away? Do you break things? Do you kind of rip stuff up? And kind of go, actually, that's not, or do you just keep going until it turns into something that you want to, to keep? More the latter, I think. I mean, when I started, I used to smash quite a few pots. Uh, but nowadays, they take so long and, and they're such an investment of time that I kind of, um, I, I don't, I, I, know, I can also spot things going wrong nowadays. You know, I've been doing this for 40 years now. I spot it going wrong very early. I nip it in the bud before it turns into a disaster on the whole. And when do you kind of, do you have that moment of going, oh, this is a really good idea. Like when you came up with the idea of doing your big maps, uh, yeah. did you kind of, did you, was that a, a kind of a great light bulb moment when you thought, oh, this is a great idea? That's a really interesting question because often if you're doing something new, you have kind of um, imposter syndrome and you feel kind of like, oh my God, I don't know if I like this. I've not done this before. I don't think I'm very good at it. And it's only in retrospect you realise that was a fantastic sort of, turning point in your career like the maps is a good example of it i remember doing the first one and i was thinking is this any good and it was the most successful we underpriced it <laughs> because we thought i don't we didn't think anybody wanted it. And, the, and the edition of the first uh, etching sold out i think in three days and we're like yeah i think we underpriced that <laughs> see that's so i find this bit of art really interesting that idea so who when you say we underpriced it was it do you have like, are you with a particular gallery or dealer, dealer yeah dealer yeah. And and do you have you so you have those discussions? You're not you you don't mind getting involved in the grubby business side of it. No, I mean you know I'm pragmatic about it, and also you know I trust their judgment on it. You know like whether because I tend to say I do tend to sort of err on the side of keeping my prices lower because I don't want to get into a situation where I'm sort of some sort of overpriced. But you know it, it's a very organic, intuitive thing. It's you know it's 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 literally the market. You know what will people pay for something? And if you if you price it too low, then you 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 sell out very quickly and you run out of things to sell. Or and and then the opposite. If you put it too high, nobody buys it. So um, it's interesting. And uh, so tell me this. So you're filming Art Club in real time. Uh, so Pretty much. There's f- five more. Yeah, five more. Five more, and so we got yeah. So we got themes each week. So next week it's nature, then it's food, then it's dreams, then it is work, and the final one is travel. And I think that the, the submissions are still open for at least the last three. I think. 
And you can submit artwork if you go to graysonsartclub.com. Graysonsartclub.com. Yep. Uh, yeah. uh, I'm, sure I'm sure there's some creative people out there who'd like to like to contribute to those. Uh, Grayson Perry, it's been lovely to talk to you. Grayson Perry's Art Club is every Friday, 8 o'clock, Channel 4. Catch up on all four. Uh, I'll let you get back to your uh, studio, you productive man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is it is scary to think that you're, you're actually you're making something as we speak you're going to be off making something yeah so. i was rolling out a piece especially ready for next week's filming just as yeah literally before i came on air wow well listen good luck we'll be watching thank you very much for art club seriously genuinely on on behalf of the nation thank you so much for Art club it's yeah. a gorgeous gorgeous Cheers. lovely to talk graham all right and love to philip as well bye-bye bye. take care bye bye-bye coming up soon sandy toxvig will be filling us in on her adventures in her new show Extraordinary Escapes but first Rupert Everett filled us in on his upcoming appearance on Piers Morgan Life Stories Hello Rupert Everett Good morning Graham how are you? I'm very well now I thought you might be eating an egg with your mother but in fact you're in uh, more exotic climes Yes, I am, because I've decided to stop being a celebrity and become an influencer. And when I realised that what influencers do is go abroad and do selfies, I decided to come to Brazil. <laughs> and so that's where I am. <laughs> I must check your um, feed. I've been here, with my, <laughs> I've been here um, since Christmas, really, because uh, with my in-laws and, uh, and some friends and um, tr- trying to find a way of getting back, actually, but waiting uh, a little bit. Okay, so you're here to tell us about uh, your edition of Piers Morgan's Life Stories. It's on ITV on Thursday, the fourth of March at nine o'clock. Now, did you did you know Piers Morgan? Did you move in the same circles? Graham, no, I didn't uh, know Piers Morgan very well. Um, I'd been on a, a, a rather disastrous show called The Celebrity Apprentice with him about ten years ago, and we hadn't got along at all well. And in fact, when I started doing the show, uh, because what I'm really trying to do, by the way, is uh, promote my my book and uh, uh, which is still uh, going. And so um, when I went on the show, uh, he he read me this list of things that I'd said about him. It was very, very embarrassing. That's so weird, though, to take what it's very weird, but also very him that he would make it about him when you come on his show. I, I know, but it was rather embarrassing since I had said at some point, apparently, that he was hung like a budgie. And did he dispute that fact? <laughs> no, he seemed to be quite happy with it, actually. <laughs> yeah, budgie was like, what a compliment. Thank you very much. Um, and did you cry? That's the main thing we want to know. Um, I tried, Graham, to cry. <laughs> I tried to have my weepy moment. Um, but, you know, the thing is, I, I, I'm, I'm come from a kind of empire-ish background. I, I, I can't get the tears out. But, in fact, you know, he was very, very nice. He's a kind of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde character, in a way, because his evening show, his um, chat show, uh, he's incredibly nice. And then uh, he turns into a kind of Gorgon uh, first thing in the morning. Yes, I mean, what areas... I mean, because I just thought, oh... Rupert Everett's going on Piers Morgan. Uh, how many questions about Madonna were there? Well, there, there were there were no questions about Madonna. Funnily enough, wow. Um, uh, he he was <laughs> he was very very. Uh, it was it was it was. Uh, it's it's a tough interview in a way because uh, you know when you're doing those kind of things, you don't really have a time to think uh, about what you would like to say. So you he he's he's very good at his job. Uh, like you, you know, you guys know how to do how to get things out of people. But um, it was actually um, very, very nice, and and he was he was very kind to me. I think, which was surprising. 
No, I must say, I think he does a very good job. I mean, my show is very different. I'm looking for anecdotes. I'm looking for the funny. I think those long form interviews uh, where, you know, you, kind of a biographical interview arch over an hour, they're very hard to do. And I think he does a very good job. And were there things in the show about your life? Because, you know, you've written memoirs, but, but not kind of spanning your whole life. Were there things about your life that surprised you as you sat there? No, Graham, there was nothing about my life that had surprised me. Um, no, I was just surprised about, I was, um, I was surprised how good he was at doing it and how nice he was to me, really. And, you know, no, I, everything um, I think I'd been through kind of before, he, 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 wants to, he, he kind of wants to get you into a, a sort of awkward situation. Then he wants you to tell someone to the camera what you're thinking or and stuff like that uh, which was great he, you know it is a very good show so i was happy to be on it very happy to be on it and in the little films where they you know they get people to talk about you and various bits of your life were there surprises were there people who'd agreed to be in the films and you thought oh i'm i'm was shocked that <laughs> they thought it was a good idea to be in this film <laughs> um, well, no, there were there were there were uh, lots of um, friends of mine who were in uh, in in did little film sections. Uh, I didn't have anyone come to the show because obviously it was during COVID, so um, so there was none of that kind of stuff. Uh, um, but uh, no, they were all. It was it was it was lovely, I must say. And now the uh, I see you're working on a new book as well as everything else. You've got lots of things coming up. But what's the new book about? Is it more of your life? Or is it a novel? Um, I'm I'm doing uh, I'm doing two new books. I'm doing a, a book of uh, short stories, and I'm doing um, a book of you know what happened in 2020, uh, going on to this year. Because uh, I was on acting on Broadway when uh, when the pandemic really kicked in, and uh, I think it's um, I, I would really like to write about this last year and this year as well, actually, because you know we're living in historical times and. Um, one of the things I love reading is, um, you know, people's versions of what, what went on in history. So I think it's an exciting thing to try and do. And I feel I am contractually obliged to say out loud once more how good you were in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, since I'm the only person who saw it. It's my job. It's my job to spread the word uh, that you were very, very good. Very, very good. I, I know, Graham, that is the most exciting thing that you saw Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, the only person. It's funny, I just read uh, Mike Nichols. Uh, biography. Have you read it? No, I haven't, but he did Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf too. Uh, yeah, he was in it, and but also like, that was his first film. It's incredible, that was his first film. And it's his best film too. It's a wonderful, wonderful film, uh, his film of Virginia Woolf. And then he played it in the theatre with, um, I can't remember, Ruth Gordon. Elaine May, um, Elaine May. Elaine May, Elaine May, which must have been quite something as well. Yeah, but I think somebody, did he get sick? I think he got sick or something. And so it was, it was a curtailed thing and it never made it to Broadway. I don't think they did it somewhere out of town, but apparently it was amazing. Yeah, the the Long Haven something or other. Oh, well uh, done. Yes, theater, yes, think, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. You're right. You're right. Uh, at what point did you think I may as well just see how I feel? Say how I feel. Did you did you ever have a filter, or do you feel you do have a filter? No, I'm trying to fix on my filter now because no one wants to say how they feel anymore. Everyone wants to keep uh, you know your cards very close to your chest nowadays. So I'm trying to. I'm like one of those old air conditioning units. I'm trying to fix on a new filter. And, uh, but it's difficult after, you know, um, 
uh, all these years. But nowadays, I think I think it's it's quite strange. Everyone is really you. You have to think twice before you say anything. And when you were you know a young actor and you suddenly you know with another country you suddenly became this big star. Did people try to tell you, oh, look, tone it down, don't don't say those things, uh, don't talk about people like that? Was there any of that? Um, in a way, there was, but I was too I, I was too stupid to really know. I, what I realised about my youth, or when I started working, I hadn't got a clue what the, how the whole world worked. Really, not until I was I, I should think forty five. It only kind of it it was it was very weird because I came I came to London. I'd just gone to kind of bang and uh, heaven and things like that, and I thought the whole of the world was like that really. And then going into show business, I, I imagined that show business was just the same, but of course it wasn't. Show business is quite militaristic in a way and quite conventional. So it took me a long time to realise that I was doing the wrong thing sometimes. I've, reading about you, you feel, I feel like you, would have, you wanted to be a film star in an earlier era. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the, I, would, I think, I, yeah, I would like to have been around in the 1930s, really, or the 50s, I think, or the 70s, but I don't think I would have made it in the 70s. <laughs> but the 30s, really, I think would have been my era. We're talking about your life story on Piers Morgan. It was on Thursday, 4th of March, 9pm. In that, was there any sense of, you know, the, that your life has become, you've become such a different person that, you know, in that you've focused more on writing, you've, you've written all this stuff, you, you know, you've directed a movie now, all of those things. Are you sort of surprised that that's who you've become? I think the thing about when you get older is the surprise is that you ever were the person you were because uh, I find the early me uh, kind of almost unimaginable now. I can't imagine what, what made me do all the things I did. I can't uh, imagine all the things I loved, which I don't like so much now. Uh, and uh, so I think it's, it's what I find difficult is, is imagining being the person I was, in a way. Well, we will see the person you were on Piers Morgan's Life Stories with Rupert <laughs> Everett, ITV Thursday at 4th of March at 1pm. And the book, uh, To the End of the World, Travels with Oscar Wilde, is uh, still out. It's still out there. <laughs> still, still out. Is it in paperback it's yet? It's still out there. It's coming out in paperback any second now. Oh, there you go. Look, it, it, this is timely. It's timely. Very good. It's timely. Is, yeah. Exactly. Um, I'll let you get back to uh, a beautiful day in Brazil. Thank you very much, Rupert Everett. Thank you very much, Graham. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio. Extraordinary Escapes. Uh, the whole series is available on all four. The lady who leads those Extraordinary Escapes is Sandy Toxvig, and she joins us now. Hello. Hi, darling boy. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. I've to track you down. I think I'm a Virgin Radio virgin, and this is very exciting to finally found you. And it's fun here. I'm well. I, I mean, it's fun for me. I don't know what it's like for listeners, but I'm having a lovely time. <laughs> I've been enjoying the show, so thank you for that. Hey, well done. Well, talking of enjoying the show, your show. I mean, it's one of those things. It's like, did did I mean did, did Sandy blackmail someone? How did she get this gig? <laughs> Like, does she have dirt on a Channel Four commissioning editor? Yeah, that's it. It's I, I know I know where all the bad cakes were hidden. And baked <laughs> and, uh... It's what a lovely thing to get to. If people haven't seen it yet. Describe what happens in the show. Well, um, because we're going to have to get used to the idea of the staycation, we don't need to do it with a great sigh and be resigned about it. There are just the most astonishing and fabulous places in the UK to go, and so each week I get to take a pal. 
um, you know, a, a lady, perhaps of a certain age, uh, and uh, we go off uh, and go exploring. And I have had one of the best working times of my entire life. Uh, Sindhu V, wonderful stand-up comic, she and I um, were allowed to stay alone on an island uh, with a lighthouse uh, off the in the Scottish Islands. It was just amazing, amazing. And now, because, you know, so these are four episodes, four friends. You take, Bruleith is in the last one here. Now, yeah. obviously, you you love these women. They're, they're very good friends of yours. Was there any time during the film where you thought, I thought I wanted to spend more time with this person? <laughs> <laughs> turns no, out. But you, but you learn surprising things. So it turns out that um, Alison Steadman's slightly obsessed with clouds and kept taking pictures of them with her iPad, which was not expected. Um, it, it turned out that Cindy V's slightly anxious sleeper. And so she wanted always for me to have the bedroom nearest the front door in case a bad man turned up. Wow. I mean, yeah. So that's, I mean, she was willing to sacrifice me. That's what I'm saying to you. Yes, I like, that is literally, you're going for a walk, here comes a yeah. bus. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Yeah. So when, uh, I, uh, years and years ago, um, I did a big trip on the Zambezi and I remember seeing lots of canoes with local people and they always had a dog. And I said, oh, isn't that nice? They've got a dog. And they said, yes, that's to throw to the crocodiles in case that they're attacked. <laughs> it's not a pet. It's a kind of protection. <laughs> oh, it's a, di- well, it's a big world, isn't it, Sandy? It's a big world. <laughs> so I was like the dog in the canoe. That's what I was to Cindy. So there we are. Now, I, I think I was watching the show carefully, but did I miss a bit where you told us how to rent these houses? Uh, no, I didn't uh, tell you that Oh, bit. good. Uh, so, uh, I, and uh, frankly, I, I didn't do that bit. Okay. I'm, I'm, like, I'm like royalty, darling. I, somebody else does that. But uh, each and every one has a website, so you can just go on the website and uh, and and rent them. Uh, I, I I freely confess most of them are in the high stakes. Oh no! Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a bit on the expensive side. Yeah, and presumably because you were filming, you know, in lockdown-ish times, uh, there was very good availability. <laughs> Yes, there was lots of availability, and it was very complicated because these are actually my friends, and um, we had to keep refilming things because we'd forgotten to be two meters apart, or we'd laughed too loudly, or done some singing or something. Um, so it was—it's <laughs> a complex world we now live in, darling. It, you you it, have to do that with your guests, don't you? You have to sit a million miles apart now. That no, a... we do, and actually, I get anxious when I watch something that's filmed. You know, before lockdown, uh, and you see, I, I get anxious. It, it adds drama to a drama when it's a nightclub, and you think, "Oh no!" Yes. Oh, people are kissing. That can't be right. <laughs> know, we've got used to it horribly quickly. So you visit—is it twelve houses in total? Yeah, yeah, and uh, it, it was just wonderful. Um, the ones that I went to uh, with Prue, we actually went, uh, Kate Moss, the, the model, not the novelist, uh, designed the house that we went and stayed in, and we had a man come and mix cocktails for us, and I thought, well, this is a working day. It's not too bad, is it? Oh, too bad at all. So was that the one with the when you said Kate Moss's mirror? Yeah. Oh, I see. I'm an idiot. Yeah. I was thinking no, model mirror. Yeah. No, you're not an idiot. I mean, you are far from an idiot. It's so nice to talk to you. Uh, no, it's, it's so lovely to talk to you. It's been a very long time, I think. It, well, I mean, the thing is, time for me, I think time is so weird now because I know I haven't spoken to you for at least a year because mm. I haven't spoken to anyone for a year. No, <laughs> I haven't to anyone for a year. <laughs> um, and it's like, you know, you think of calling friends and you thought, well, I have nothing to say to them. What's, no, what's the point? How was, how was your day? Same as yesterday. <laughs> How's tomorrow looking? Pretty much the same. 
<laughs> so what? So how long did this uh, project take? I mean, do you really spend a night in all of yeah. these houses? We did really go and stay in these places, um, and uh, that was the nicest bit. Uh, and obviously, you can't stick it all in a in a show because there just isn't the time. Um, but I don't think you need to see me and Jessica Hines in our pajamas making breakfast. I don't think that's necessary television. Mm, I don't know. See the DVD no. extras. And okay, if yeah, you had to the pick director's cut, if you had to pick one of the twelve. Where are you going back to? Where would you like to go back I to? I would already like to go back to a place called Old Smock Windmill, uh, which is in Benenden in Kent. And it is the most stunning, beautifully renovated windmill. I just loved it. I realised that you don't need a massive space uh, in order to relax, enjoy yourself. It just needs to be rather beautiful. And go there and, um, I don't know, pick some apples and press some juice. And uh, the woman who owns it is an artist. I loved everything about it. I went there with Jessica Hines. And it, 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 just, it just was kind of perfection. So that's probably my top one. Yes, I must say, the one that I found most puzzling was that one where they bought a beautiful cottage in the Cotswolds mm. and then built a sort of conference centre behind it. <laughs> yes, that is, that is curious. And all the cupboards, they had these very beautiful white cupboards and uh, Prue and I were going to do some cooking. We couldn't find anything. Just kept opening things. And at one point, Prue went, oh, good Lord, that's the fridge. So it was... <laughs> It it's like, have you seen Finding Alice with that smart yeah. house? Yes, <laughs> Keely Hall's just going, lights, lights. Yes, lights. Um, so that was, um, it was baffling to me. And uh, we did love the cottage best. So they have built this incredible modern extension. Yeah. Uh, it's a lovely bit of architecture, but we, I'm afraid we were, we were on the old school. We like the old bit. Uh, have you had a jab yet? I'm at Thursday, darling. I'm having it on Thursday. Oh, exciting. Yes. I love hearing this. I know. I love no, and I'm so please, 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 everybody, please don't be afraid. Please go and do this. Do you think I don't really do social media, darling? Do you think I should tweet that I've had the jab? Do, do you think it encourages people or not? Um, I think uh, the uh, the endorsement of celebrity is overrated. <laughs> I think, so do I. I think often so the, I. The, the endorsement of celebrity puts people off. <laughs> Yes, either maybe it just won't keep it quiet. Yes. Say, if, say nothing if, about if people it. don't listen to a doctor telling them they should yeah. have the jab, yeah. I'm not sure Sandy will help. No, it's going to make, make yeah. a big difference. That, that person doesn't want the jab. Now, one of your books, uh, Talks Figs Almanac uh, 2021, this, this, so there's a, a historical figure each day. I should have warned you about this. Do you know who today's historical figure is? Yes, because I. But, but you see, it's the geek thing, darling. Okay. I think it's... Uh, I looked, actually. I think it's Pomer the Fourth. I think she was a queen... Uh, I've got the book here, actually. I can have a quick I look. Knew, I, I knew it would be Pomer by your hand. Pomer the Fourth, I think, uh, and she was a marvellous... Uh, uh, the thing is, it, it's partly that we don't know people from different nations, that we may know a bit about the history uh, of our own. Yeah, here we are, 28th of February, 1813. Pomer IV was born, Queen of Tahiti. Um, what I like about her, she was queen between 1827 and 1877, so she was like their Queen Victoria. Um, she was also known as Aimata, or Eye-Eater, because of an old tradition that the ruler would eat the eye of a defeated enemy. Nice. I mean, it doesn't say how, doesn't say with the sauce, doesn't say salad on the side, doesn't say... Uh, I don't think she did that. But anyway, um, <laughs> she succeeded her brother at the age of, uh, of 13, and three of her children uh, became monarchs in their own right. So that's, that's the children have done... I've got three kids. If they'd all become monarchs in their own right, I would have thought that was rather marvellous. <laughs> So that's uh, Toxic Almanac 2021. It's a, a, a historical figure every day, and then there's four essays for each month on individual figures. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it was my lockdown present. It was the book I wanted to buy and couldn't find, so I wrote it myself. And tomorrow sees the launch of Turn On the Subtitles. Uh, what can you tell us about this? It's a schools campaign, I know. 
this is the most brilliant thing. So one, there's been a real issue during COVID because of the millions of children uh, who have not been able to go to school and they've actually gone backwards when it comes to literacy. And you think, oh, well, I haven't got the money for a private tutor or I can't get them to school. There's a really simple thing you can do to help your children to read. And that is turn the subtitles on when they're watching telly. All children are watching more telly. On average, I think children watch about 12 hours a week and probably more during COVID. If you turn the subtitles on, they will be reading in the in the time they watch television, the equivalent of, I don't know, reading the whole of The Lord of the Rings, that kind of thing. Um, and it really matters because it's particularly in the poorer families that we find um, that there isn't a sufficient level of literacy. And if you have a low level of literacy when you leave school, you are three times more likely to die young, three times more likely to go to prison, three times more likely to be hospitalized. It has a huge impact on your life. And this is a really simple thing. It can double the chances of a child becoming a proficient reader. So if you're worried and thinking, oh, I don't want my child to watch that much television, at least put the subtitles on and know that by the words just sweeping across in that way, you are doing them the power of good. Such a smart, simple idea. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's a, a fantastic idea. I'm so pleased to be behind it. Uh, and it doesn't cost anything. And, and I, I'm pretty confident every television set now has the capacity to turn on the subtitles. I remember years ago, my mother took us by accident. She thought she was taking us to The Sound of Music, but actually she took us <laughs> to a German film about the Von Trapp family. <laughs> and, and we were very young. And my friend Denise was able to read silently, but I could only read out loud. I couldn't read in my head. <laughs> So I read the entire film aloud, which, which can't have been that pleasurable for other people in the audience. Sandy Dogfigs, <laughs> the, the final episode of Extraordinary Escapes airs this Wednesday at 9 o'clock on Channel 4. But the whole thing is available on all four. And it is just a, it's a lovely thing. It's like hanging out with friends, uh, but you get to stay in your house while Sandy goes <laughs> to lovely places. Uh, it's been gorgeous to talk to you. Take care of yourself, right. Sandy. Stay Look safe. Yourself, and uh, good you. luck on uh, Thursday with the jab. Thanks, darling. Lots of love. Lots of love. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining me for the Graham Norton Radio Show podcast. I'm back on Virgin Radio from 9.30 on Saturday morning. And the next episode of the podcast will be out first thing the following Monday. Chat then. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio. 